John chapter 13, if you have your Bibles today, and I know last week Pastor Ryan preached, did a great job, amen, because many of you enjoyed it. How many of you have enjoyed our pastoral staff uh, preaching this summer? It's been great, isn't it? Preaching through the series, ministering what God's placed on their heart through the gospel of John. Well, today, this is a, a very shocking story in, in Scripture, and it's really a story of opportunity lost. Have you ever had an opportunity that was lost in your life? I think we all could say yes to that. But this is really a story. It's a sad story of what might have been. Not just a story of betrayal that we see in Scripture, because really long before that, there was the potential to not have to result in betrayal. Here's a man who was one of the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus, and he walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus. He was even counted as one of Jesus' good friends. His name is Judas. Was a, he's a trusted friend of the other disciples as well. He was the treasure. They trusted him with their funds. And this was a man who observed for three years God in the flesh. He heard Jesus teaching the multitudes. He heard uh, the word of God from the lips of God. He saw the miracles that Jesus did, and he gathered the leftover bread after the feeding of the 5,000. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. Judas did miracles. Judas preached the gospel. Judas was, was anointed of God. And throughout the years, while the other 11 disciples were growing in grace, Judas was becoming more and more like the devil. It's tragic. Not many people today name their children Judas. Hey, Judas, come here, Judas. I'd like to introduce you to my son, Judas, right? Not many people do that for good reason. That's for sure. So you see in this, the name Judas means Jehovah leads. Also, it means let God be praised. The irony was that we see inside of this is that Judas wasn't letting Jehovah lead his life, and the devil was leading him. And he surely wasn't giving God the praise and the glory. We look back into the history of Judas a little bit, bit, and we see that he came from a lineage of rebels. Even it was thought to be a lineage of a league of assassins. The stage is set. It's the Last Supper. Jesus will soon be arrested. He will be tried unjustly, falsely condemned, delivered over for crucifixion. And after severe beating at nine in the morning, he will be nailed to the cross where he will bear the weight of the sin of the world. But this, in John chapter 13, is the night before all of that takes place. This is the upper room. John gives us five chapters of detailed description. The die has been cast, and and Judas has made his deal with the priest to betray Jesus. Remember, Judas was the one that protested the waste of expensive perfume as Mary came and wanted to pour it all out, and she did. It was talked about. Judas has no heart for the Lord. He has no desire to worship God and doesn't want anybody else to do it either. When he is, we see by doing this and withholding and wanting others to withhold their lavish love for Jesus, Jesus rebuked him. 
And on the heels of that, Judas goes to the priests and asks, what will you give to me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver would in our day be about $200 or just a little over. And from that moment on, we see that he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. He was watching. He was waiting for the moment. In verse 13, it says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do what? Well, he's talking about serving, right? He did the job nobody else wanted to do. And Jesus is saying, when, when you have a heart of a servant and know and you do it, then you will be blessed. Amen? That, in other words, joy comes in serving Jesus and laying down your rights and your privileges. I, I just want to let you know today that if you don't have as much joy as you want, your joy comes also from serving other people. Amen? We have an incredible A-team here. Wait, wait, your joy comes from serving Jesus. Can I hear an amen today? Yeah. That, that's where it comes from, right? And so the joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. And some of you may be lacking strength. Well, that comes by serving other people. We have an incredible A-team that makes it happen around here week in and week out, our volunteers. I mean, I think they deserve a great big hand clap for all that they do. Amen? You can be a part of the A-team as well. Just jump in and serve. But you and I get a joy from serving other people. And he's saying to his disciples, you're blessed if you do it. He said, I am not speaking of all of you. I know who I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled, verse 18. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, that you may believe that I am he. That I'm he. Jesus saw the duplicity of Judas long before the betrayal took place. But there's another opportunity you see at the Last Supper to remind the disciples that this wasn't accidental because Jesus knew all of it all along the way. We're foretold of this even in the Old Testament in Psalm 41 where it says, even my close friend in whom I've trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. You know, it would be... In our human nature, wouldn't it, if we knew someone was going to betray us, that we would put them as far away from us as possible? How many of you are with me? Right, like, don't get close to me. I know you're about ready to do this, so I'm pushing you off. I don't want you close to me. I don't even want you near me at this moment, or maybe ever. That would be our human nature, but not Jesus. Jesus reaches out to him and warns him repeatedly, Matter of fact, if you remember in John chapter 6, we talked about, he says, Jesus looking at his disciples, he looked at him and says, one of you is a devil. Right there, John chapter 6. But Jesus reaches out with an incredible love. He warns them repeatedly. Judas was reached out by Jesus, trusted him, ate with him. And he says, lifted his heel against me. Now, if a cow or a horse raised its foot at you, what does that mean? It's getting ready to kick you, right? You're getting ready to be kicked. And so he knows this. That's why he's saying this. One of you, you're lifting up your heel against me. And he says, you're about ready to kick me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the idea. Now, Judas, he didn't have to betray the Son of God, but he chose to betray the Son of God. 
We see Jesus and his incredible love continue to reach out to Judas. Judas has a choice, but Judas has made bad choices consistently. And so the Last Supper makes no sense, though, I want you to know this, if your paradigm is the Leonardo da Vinci painting that we've all seen of the Last Supper, right? That it's a long table, Jesus is in the center, disciples on the right, disciples on the left. If that's all you know, you're missing really the picture of really the meaning of what was taking place inside of that day. But the actual setting that we see, if you see only say, I only know Leonardo da Vinci's uh, painting, what happens is that works against Scripture. It helps you to understand how they would sit. The Romans understood it as triclinium, three sides and usually shaped in a U. Tri means three. Clinium means couches. The servants would come and serve those reclining on the cushions and on the pillows, and you'll see that picture behind me. You, you would lean on your left arm as you are reclining at the table. Why? You would lean on that because you really weren't going to use that because as you understand your left hand, you don't use. Why? It's still understood because that's the one you have the toilet paper in. How many of you are with me? Did some of, you knew that, right? So, so that, that you always shook with the right hand. If everybody come to you and tried to shake with their left hand, it's just the most weird, awkward thing ever, right? We're always trained to shake with the right hand. Isn't that true? If you physically can. And so you understand they would lean on their left arm at this triclinium, this U-shaped couch. And I just kind of want to show you a little bit today how this is played out. So I'm going to have my help come today. I'm going to have uh, Josiah and Justin come, and they're going to help me out. Come on, give them a great big hand clap today. Now listen, they, they, they are going to help show just a little bit. I don't have a triclinium up here, a three uh, U-shaped couch, but just to kind of show to you what was taking place in that day and what took place. So uh, Justin is going to represent Jesus. And so Jesus, if you will come and you would come and you would sit on the couch and what's going to happen is he's going to recline on his left arm and then, yes, he's going to have his... Uh, you're going to maybe want to shift a little bit further back there a little bit. Yes, you're doing a lot better. Uh, Jesus is doing great. This is big love Jesus today. This is big love Jesus, big love Jesus, big love Jesus. It's helping me out. And then what you're going to have is we're going to have John come. Shia represents John, and he's going to come, and he is going to lay beside <laughs> Now you're getting the picture. So they would recline like this on their, on their left arm around this table, the triclinium. They are very close to one another. That's what took place in that day. That, that's how close they were. And so you understand. And these guys are friends, okay, just to let you know. That. I just didn't put them up here together and, and all of that, okay. <laughs> so you get an understanding of some of you that are watching on like, like, I'm never coming to that church. It's so freaking weird. <laughs> we don't do this all the time, okay? <laughs> Only on special events, you'll have to come and see. <laughs> uh, so 
you see as they are very close to each other, and then understanding through Scripture that it points out in many different areas, Judas would have most likely been on the left side of Jesus, very close to him, very close, John on the right, Judas, the other disciples that are around as they are getting ready to eat the last supper together. And also, then it says that in through Scripture, John being there, dearly beloved of God, that he would actually rest his head on Jesus' breast. Yeah, that's... And so that, that's really... <laughs> they're getting a little too comfortable. <laughs> okay, so that... He was so close to Jesus that he would put his head upon the breast of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so um, at this moment, uh, John, just, just act like you're talking to, yeah, Jesus in that moment. And, and what would take place is they're, they're, they would reach over and, and you know, the, the, the table, the cushions, they're, they're there, and then there's food that in front of them, so they're reaching over, and they're, they're getting food, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're enjoying it together, and back and forth, and yes. But really what they're doing is they're enjoying each other's company, because they really do love one another so deeply and so intimately. Now, what I want you to do, I mean, I don't know about you, but some of you are probably glad, you know, that we don't do this nowadays, but let me tell you something. If you eat like this in your house, please don't ask my family over, okay? <laughs> I love you, but there are boundaries. John chapter 13, verse 21, 22 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. You understand, Jesus is troubled. He is there, though, with his closest friends. He is there with those that he has loved and poured into and spoken into their life. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He's got a lot to be troubled about because, you know, in a few short hours, he's about ready to go to the cross. He knows this. He understands this. He'll be falsely accused. He'll be tried. He will be condemned as a criminal, beaten so badly. The book of Isaiah says that he didn't even look like a man. Hung on a cross, that moment God supernaturally lays on him the sin of everyone who would ever believe in him. This is absolutely unimaginable. It's troubling. His disciples will deny him, desert him, and betray him. The disciples can't believe, though. You look at this scripture that any of them would deny Jesus, betray him. That's absolutely not possible. And, and to tell you how really big of a hypocrite Judas was, they don't even know who it is, and they can't figure it out because he has been in hiding the whole time, even though they have seen him. So going around, Scripture tells us there is this roll call that takes place, and they are saying, is it I? I mean, is it, is it I, Lord? Is it, is it I, you know that I would never do that to you. In verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. But Peter, here's Peter, realistic Peter, pragmatic Peter that you see. I've just got to know who this is. You got to love Peter. 
He's like, who is this? I mean, who is this person that's about ready to betray our Lord? Because you got to understand in this, you know that he will take them out. He's not happy. And it's like, John, ask him who it is. So, John, who is it? Who is it? Who is this? Who is this? Who's going to betray our Lord? I said, no sweet nothings. I just said, Peter is the guy who asks all the questions. I've got to know. I've got to know. I've got to know. How many of us would be like, I got to know? Verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him, asked Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciples leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Because if the disciples know who it is at that moment, that disciple's not going to make it out of their life. We know Peter's not shy in using a sword because we see it in the garden when they came to get Jesus, that he took the ear off of one of them coming to arrest Jesus. He was really aiming to take off his head, but he hit his ear. He took it, and you understand in this that there is such close intimacy between Jesus and his followers that he loved every single one of them. Now, I want to tell you, if you come to one of our men's breakfasts, we do not eat this way at our men's breakfasts, okay? So be rest assured on that. All right. Thank you, Jesus. And John, give them a great big hand clap today. They did an amazing job. Sometimes it's good to get the image how close there was real intimacy that Jesus had with his disciples sometimes We never think it of that way. We think of the Leonardo da Vinci, which is not in Scripture. It's the closeness. It's the proximity that Jesus really wanted those that were closest to him to have them right near him, right on his breast, the Bible says. You understand understand a little bit of who Jesus is when you get a little picture of this. But, you know, Judas has got to be scared. And wondering, what is going to happen? But Jesus loves him to the very end, right? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, the Bible says in 27, Satan entered into him. He's been motivated by the enemy. Now from this point on, he is totally given over to the enemy. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table, Scripture says in verse 20, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, But buy what you need for the feast or that you should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. If you remember, and don't miss this, back in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, Nicodemus is with him. Night is a metaphor for spiritual and moral darkness. The darkness outside is nothing compared 
to the darkness that is inside of Judas's heart. His heart is as black as the night. That's what he's saying. Is as black as the night. It is evil. It is a betrayer. What is this saying to us? I want to give you four lessons, if you will, from the life of Judas today. First of all, you can live near God's presence and not be changed by his power. Are you with me? It is possible to be around places where God is working and not be transformed by the power of God. And Scripture warns us about this all along. But Judas has been with him for three years. Three years he sees God in the flesh do absolutely amazing things, but he is not changed by the power of God. That tragically Judas ended the way that he started. It's just not enough to be, this is what I'm saying, it's not enough to be where Jesus is. The greatest challenge for every single one of us is to let God change your life. Christianity is about a better you, a freer you, a more like Jesus you. And Judas rejected the change. It's possible to come to church every single week and have the presence of the Lord in this place and observe it and never be changed by it. Maybe some that are here today, you're so used to the presence of the Lord that you can watch God work, but you've never been transformed in your heart by the power of God. But sometimes we are all susceptible to becoming so cold to the things of God, and so now we sit by passively. That any one of us in this place, from the sound of my voice online, that any one of us has the ability to be a spiritual actor and not be changed by his power and his presence. Because somewhere along the line, our heart has grown cold to the things of God, and you haven't done anything about it. And it's a very dangerous place because a neglected Savior is a severe judge. Judas wanted to give Jesus something, not everything. So if you don't want to end up like Judas, when people have the attitude, I'm just going to give Jesus something, but I'm not going to give him everything, then what happens is you end up losing it all. And Judas lost it all. It is a partial commitment to the things of God. And so you understand that Jesus is saying all of this through this, this wonderful dynamic language. You only get joy in this Christian walk when you learn to surrender everything. Amen, church? Lord, that you can have my relationships, that you can have my future, that you can have my mind, that you can have my body, you can have everything that I am. And Judas calls worship waste. Amen. Because we all know worship isn't just singing. Are you with me? It's everything that you are that you give to the Lord for why he created you to live upon this earth. What is this, Mary, that you are giving the Lord? All of this in the alabaster jar? Are you kidding me? Mary called it worship. Judas calls it waste. And Jesus said, you leave her alone. She is doing something far greater. How many of you know the worship time is not wasted time? Amen? 
Worship time is not wasted time in our life. And that's so important that we know that, that, that maybe you say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to worship. I, I don't even, when I come to Sunday morning, I don't even clap my hands. I don't, need to clap my, I don't need to raise my hands. I don't care what church your background is in. Praise is not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a charismatic thing only. It's a Bible thing. Amen? That when we come and we worship the Lord, it's in the Bible. The Bible says, praise him with the clapping of hands. Praise him with the lifting of hands, right? Praise him with the shout. Hallelujah. Praise him with the musical instruments. We're not wasting time when we're pouring out our praise on Jesus. Isn't that true, church? So I just wondered today if you would just help me because we're here from one person and his name is Jesus this morning. Amen. I didn't come for a person. I came for him. So would you just pour out your praise to the Lord? Come on, do it like you mean it. Come on, give him praise. Lord, we bless you. Lord, we thank you. We've come to pour ourselves out on you today, Lord, because you're the only one that matters. Worship is never wasted. You're doing it for the Lord. Judas is surrounded by the glory of God and cares nothing about it. It's possible to be near God's presence but not be changed by his presence. Do you see, are we growing closer to him? Are we becoming more conformed to the image of Jesus? Or are we becoming less like him? It's because there's no such thing as a stationary Christian. Right? There's no such thing as a stationary Christian. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do what I've always done. But gosh, I sure want more than what I'm getting. It requires something of us. Blessings come because of the obedience that we obey the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's a second thing. When sin is tolerated, the light of God grows dim. So Kristen talked about small groups. And I think one of the many things is we just continue to talk about groups. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's not something that's a side thing. It's who we are in relationship with one another. That we understand that our relationship with one another is so important and so vital that, yes, We are here to help grow in discipleship and knowing the Lord, becoming a true disciple of Christ, but also that we grow in our fellowship and our devotion to one another because that's the body of Christ. I don't know about you, but the world that I look in, I need the body of Christ more than ever before now in the day and age that we live. Amen? And I pray the church of God gets this into their heart and understands how vital relationships are because we have incredible group leaders that are serving this body week in and week out that love people, that love the Lord. And you know, I don't know about you, but we need to encourage each other. Like when we see, hey, I think you're trying, there's a detour you're taking your life here. You're trying to take an exit ramp, and God just wants you to stay right here on the straight and the narrow. You know, groups can be such an encouragement to encourage one another. That's just one of the beautiful things about it, because it's in God's word. See, don't think this all happened to Judas overnight. What happened was there was greed, there was selfish ambition, there was worldliness, there was pride, and all those things left unchecked as with any sin not only works against the purposes of God, but sin left unconfessed and unchecked begins to work and begin to warp and to callous and to close our heart to God. And so when you and I close our heart to God, you have opened your life to the attack of the devourer. Amen? You are with me, right? 
when we close our heart to God, you've told the enemy, you have a foothold in my life. You can come and attack me. And Paul said, amongst the many warnings, even in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's one of those things that he even says, well, John, you don't understand, man. I'm German, so I get upset. I'm, I'm Italian, man, so it comes out of me, you know, and, uh, and you know, and uh, I'm Irish, so that Irish comes out of me, and you don't, uh, you know, I get that. Yeah, you, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Or I can't change, which is so crazy in the day and age we live. There's songs written about, I can't change. Well, of course you can't change on your own. But you can change and become more of a freer you in Jesus Christ, right? Well, well I've, I can't let go of the bitterness. I, I can't, I'm so hurt. I, I, it's in so deep. Does Judas care? No. Is Judas moved at all? No. There's a third thing. And this is one that I think as we lean into this today, as we look at Scripture, is if you don't finish your assignment, somebody will. I want you to think about that for a minute. The thing that you're willing to take in exchange for a relationship with Jesus, you will ultimately lose in the long run anyways. Because Judas is totally in darkness. He will come into the garden. He will kiss Christ to point him out. And the Bible tells us after he betrayed Jesus, he tragically hung himself and he took his own life. Tragically. In the book of Acts, the disciples gathered and chose another apostle to take his place. And his name was Matthias. Listen, if you don't finish, if I don't finish my assignment, God will raise somebody else up to do what he's called us to do. And I'm telling you something, he will do it because he's done it before. God doesn't need John Miller. I need God. I know that he loves me. But listen, he doesn't need me. So we got to keep that all in perspective. Yeah, God loves, doesn't, doesn't take away that God loves me and cares about, yes, yes, yes. But, but listen, the bottom line is in our lives is that, listen, I need God. And anytime you get that reverse, God, you need me. God, you need me. You need my talent. You need, uh-uh, uh-uh. Put your finger in a bucket of water. Remove that finger. That water is still there, barely a drop was seen to be removed. I need God. God can find somebody to do the assignment. The book of Revelation says this, let no man take your crown. That is profound. Let no man. That means every believer in Christ, unbelievers don't have a crown, believers have a crown. He's saying this, listen, believer, in the last book of the Bible, listen to me, he says, he said, let no man take your crown. That means you and I have a crown and another man or woman could take the crown. He says, do not give it up. I have called you for a purpose. I've called you to do this. And so that's what he's saying to us. That means it's possible to somebody to get your reward in heaven because you didn't finish strong. Right? If we keep putting off the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
We keep putting it off. We keep becoming callous, which all of us have done sometime in our life. None of us are exempt from that. All of us have done this. But God will continue to reach out to every single one of us because he loves us. He loves you even though he knows some of you in this room are betraying him. He loves it. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He always will love you even when you haven't loved him. He will love you to the very end. Listen, don't continue to put off the conviction of the Holy Spirit and close the door of your heart to his light. Lastly, Judas teaches us, if you ever get your hands on Jesus, never let him go. The Bible says when the soldiers, that he told the soldiers he was going to take them to where Jesus was to be arrested. He said, you wait here and hide. Hide. And then the way you'll know the one that I'm going to betray is I will go up to him and I will, I will kiss him. And when you get your hands on him, Scripture says he told them, hold him fast. Don't let him go. If you ever get your hands on Jesus, never let him go. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a betrayal hold fast. I'm talking about holding fast to Jesus because I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have your hands from glass, grasping Jesus in these days, this world will take you for a wild ride. And you got to have your hands on Jesus. you got to be close to him, just like a woman with the issue of blood. you got to be willing to break out, and you got to be willing to touch the hem of his garment. you got to be willing to hold on more than ever, ever before. Listen, if you ever get your hands on Jesus, never let him go. Never let him go. Stop playing the middle of the road. Get a hold of Jesus today. He's the one that's going to pull you through it never let him go. I was reminded this last week of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15 for all of us today. When you hear the Spirit's voice, do not harden your hearts. The Message Bible. Today, please listen. Don't turn a deaf ear as in the bitter uprising. He knew there were going to be hurt and pain and bitterness. He says, listen, don't turn a deaf ear to my voice. Hear my voice. Never let me go to be restored, to be saved, to be set free in Jesus' name. That's what Scripture has to offer us. That's what Jesus has to offer us today in this place for every single person that would come and say, God, I need a change of heart. Lord, I need for you to come and work on my heart today. Because there's some stuff in there, God. It's not good. There's some stuff in my life today, Lord, that's not right. And so, Lord, as you've spoken to us, Father, in this place, that I believe that your people have heard, Lord, today, the work of your Spirit breathe upon this sanctuary. 
go across, Lord, into our streaming community. And Lord, you are speaking to our hearts. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed here in this place today, if you have sensed the Lord speak something to you today that he wants you to do, would you in this moment, would you just say, I, as, as a response to you today, Lord, I will do what you've called me to do and I will not allow my heart to grow cold. In Jesus' name, if God's speaking to you now in this room, could you just raise your hand right now? I see a lot of hands. Don't become so calloused that you don't hear the master's voice. Thank you for your hands. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've come to restore us. You've come to set us free so that we can become more like you. And that, Lord, as we honestly look at our hearts today, we would say, God, there's something inside of me that's not right. But I know in this moment I can be clean. I can be redeemed. I can be purified, Lord, through who you are in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the promise of your word that, that Lord, we would get our hands on you today and we would never let you go. Father, I pray this in your mighty name. And everyone said,